Welcome to episode 10 of Conversation Pace. My name is Brian Rossetti. I'm the founder of V.02. Over the next few episodes, we'll be featuring coaches who currently manage their athletes on our app. We're always focused on helping athletes find the best coaching match possible. You can visit our coach marketplace at coaches.v.02.com. There you can search certified coaches from around the world by your goal distance, training keywords like nutrition advice, or certified strength and conditioning coach, and coaching product types like training plans or private coaching subscriptions. But that's just one part of finding the best match for you. A coach's personality, their philosophy and background are important too. In order to be successful, you have to find the right fit and a coach you can trust and have confidence in. In this episode, I interviewed Rebecca Stowe. The former Jayhawk now coaches in NYC with Nike running while continuing her Olympic pursuit as an athlete. Rebecca was a Big 12 champion, academic All-American at Kansas, where she also won the prestigious Woman of Distinction Award. She's a seven-time U.S. Championship qualifier and Olympic trials finalist. But we love Rebecca's story because of all the coaching influences she's experienced and how passionate she is about continuing education so she can be the best coach possible for her athletes. Hope you enjoy our conversation. So Rebecca, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. So you're back in New York, what's happening? I am. Um, we left for the Midwest for a couple months actually, um, which was nice to be able to spontaneously see uh, some friends and family there, but um, the city is slower. It's definitely feels a little bit different and there's obviously a sense of change and um, uncertainty in a lot of ways. So just kind of rolling with it and enjoying enjoying seeing so many people out to be honest um (laughs) there's more people in the parks and on along the river and it's neat to see how people are adapting and kind of embracing slowing down despite the the prompts being to do so being so um, unfortunate yeah i've been was just talking with someone recently and they said there's more like cyclist traffic than (laughs) than car traffic definitely you have to be on a swivel constantly crossing any any running path because there's plenty of it definitely makes me nervous even (laughs) just because you have new people that are trying to learn how to bike and it's not uh not exactly their strongest suit so it's an unsettling a little bit in the park but regardless it's fun to see people moving yeah yeah so any um you see any remnants of of like the protesting um, in in your neck of the woods there? Where which part of the city are you in right yeah. now? Um, I am on like far far west side, um, just the north end of Hell's Kitchen, which is um, we. There's not a lot over here other than like once you get past Ninth um, in terms of like foot traffic and such. Um, we do live near the um horse like police horse staging barns so that's kind of been interesting seeing seeing that activity them getting geared up and um heading out but i mean we have not had daily show right yeah yeah in that area sort of so um going up and just kind of seeing some of the 
groups by Columbus Circle and being able to walk up and kind of be involved in that way is has been interesting, but no direct like outside of our door <laughs> protests happening. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is nice. I, I mean, nice to be able to engage with it. Um, but then to step away and pretend that there's a semblance of a normal, <laughs> right. I mean, not, not trying to avoid by any means what the current situation is. Like our job right now is to just learn and listen and like take it all in. But for my own, um, mental health, I guess it's nice to be able to step away for a moment. Yeah. That's a great yeah. perspective. Um, I always laugh when people will say to me, like, did you, you know, or are you okay? Or like, I can't believe what's going on in New York. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That would be something that happened like in Times Square. And yeah. I'm like totally oblivious. Like I haven't, yeah. I haven't been like, to Times Square in three years. <laughs> yeah. It's like, because you're in New York, it's supposed to like, there's just too much going on to keep tabs on everything. Honestly, we, I downloaded citizen for the first time. And I know people that have been on that app for like yeah. years, just uh, keeping a pulse on what's going on. Um, but I just downloaded it to kind of have a better reference for where, where things were happening. Um, but yeah, it's such a big city. You can't possibly keep a pulse on everything. It'd be a full-time job to do that. <laughs> yeah. People, I think it's just people watch the news and, and they're like, you're in New York and this is what I'm seeing. And yeah, that's what you're experiencing, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, well, how are you supporting yourself and, and getting on in the pandemic um, in terms of your training. And I, I want to talk about how you're supporting your athletes during this time. It's it's such an interesting dynamic. And we're, I'm seeing all sorts of reactions from athletes just from losing motivation or struggling with routine and, and feeling a little bit helpless with racing up in the air and how yeah. what that look like in the future. So just curious. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I'd say that it is, I take it like individual by individual basis for sure. And that kind of aligns with how I coach. Um, but at the same time, just trying to pull back and create, and you and I have spoken about this as well, but just trying to create an opportunity to, um, redirect the conversation to maybe there are not races happening. Maybe you are pivoting from the initial plan that you had for the next eight, 12, 16 weeks. Right. But there is an opportunity in this time to go back to like a foundational piece within, within your performance, within optimizing performance, within creating and recreating like structures and wellness routines within this new lifestyle we're all living. So that's kind of where my attention has diverted to um, in, in putting together like an eight-week program that allows people to focus on those aspects and maybe more comprehensive view. Um, but personally, I mean, writing my own training and, and approaching things and having a structure to follow and still having some check marks to, to hit um, has been really helpful from like a mental wellness and mental health perspective as well. And um, I had big goals for the 2020 season personally um, and having the, the trials um, dates changed and everything, everything changed. And it was you either 
spend time being frustrated by it or you say, okay, I accept that this is the current situation. How am I going to pivot and how am I going to make myself prepared for the things that I now want to accomplish in a different timeline? Um, so, I mean, that's how I'm supporting myself, I guess, and and what I'm trying to create for those that I'm working with and provide opportunities for community runners that maybe have have not had any structure and are now have the time right to to give to um, a little bit more of their own wellness practice so that's where I'm at yeah the we recently had Adam Wright on who I know you work with and I'd like to talk a little bit more about the the mental performance side in a bit um absolutely he's the best yeah yeah (laughs) he was great at like when dealing with like this lack of motivation or struggling, you know, with this situation we're in, he talks about like, uh, you know, why and crystallizing your values, right. And, Mm. and establishing that purpose, like, you know, why are you out there doing this to begin with? And um, so I think I I found that helpful. He actually just wrote a really cool blog piece um, for us. I saw, I saw he sent it, he sent it my way to a, Oh, make sure that it, it connected <laughs> and I said oh, you're, you're, you're right on you're right on Adam um, he's it was fun to read for myself as well even having worked with him personally um, just getting to read a broader and get that reminder right of it's all about it's all about value-based action <laughs> like that that's the name of the game um can you define what you're about and why you do things and then align your actions with, with that you're going to be in a good place if, if you're able to do those things. Yeah, that's great. Um, so where are you now with the trial? So what, what are the new dates? What's the status of those who have qualified or, um, the standards around qualifying now for the new dates? Like what is the the status? And yeah. Um, so the track on the track, they yep. moved um, 2021 to June 18th to 26th. I might be off by one day, um, but I'm pretty positive those were the dates for the trials. Um, and I, I mean, the, there's uncertainty as to when races will actually happen. I've heard um, rumblings about there being opportunities to run some track races maybe um and then in the next months but i don't know how that's going to pan out talking if we're talking like domestically i do know the diamond league they kind of rearranged their schedule so like pre is going to happen i think in october um currently as of current so for me right now i mean i i was signed up to run new york we will obviously see what happens but that would have been my first marathon um waverly and i are both training for that and so we've just been kind of redirecting and getting some really good base miles in and i had some up and down winter with just um staying healthy so it's it's kind of been that's been my shift of like getting back to those same things foundational practices wellness practices and optimization of of training structures but for me right now that's with the idea that new york is on the horizon wow that's big yeah you were were making the leap at this point (laughs) yeah did that change when the trials went down this summer I actually, and it might change. I had signed up for New York prior 
to okay. like when the trials were still happening, thinking, all right, I'll come off of a track season, um, that fitness and continue to carry through and run a marathon, like off of that, I guess. Um, but I need to, I need to go back to the drawing board and see if, if it still makes sense, but the plan is New York and then the trials in the spring. So, I mean, if you do it the right way, I don't see any reason yep. as long as I stay healthy through that. But I also don't want to be ignorant and think that you can make it through a marathon build without getting a little snafu here or there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably, it's, it's a marathon for a reason. So exactly. <laughs> Um, no, I agree. So what is your, what's the sense in your community more on the recreational side with, with Nike and with the athletes that you coach, um, in the city in terms of like expectation, in terms of fall racing and, um, where do you guys stand? It's just sort of, no one really knows. And we're just training as if, um, Chicago and New York are going to happen. Is that, is that kind of where it's at right now? Yeah. I mean, as for Nike, we had been in the middle of a half marathon program when, um, everything with COVID popped up and that just, I mean, put the brakes on it all. Right. Um, since all races were canceled, Brooklyn, that was kind of the direction for that program. Um, still hashing things out for what the fall looks like as for um, my own group of runners that I work with in a, in a private setting. Um, like I said, putting together an eight week program, we're going to go July and August, just kind of laying a foundation with the assumption that you're, you're going to have races until you don't know. Right. Um, or if that's a program you want to be a part of just to, to get yourself in, in a structure that's moving you in the right direction. Um, so be it. But I mean, as of now, in my mind, like until it's officially canceled, why not, why not proceed as planned? You know, you have to have the, the mental fortitude and capacity to adapt and adjust if, when those races don't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, I think what you're getting at re-emphasizing why why are you doing this is it for only for an external validation of having finished a race or is there intrinsic intrinsic value intrinsic motivation to you at a at a deeper sense at a value sense at a this is these actions align with me being a holistically well person right so I think that that's that's where I'm at because that's what running has been to me. It's kind of challenged me to fine tune and optimize all of those other aspects of life that go alongside running. Um, so I mean, that's kind of what I've been trying to communicate to my community. Um, yeah, it's tif- it's difficult. You see, I see a lot of like, well, I, I don't expect the race to happen, so there's kind of like this half-hearted effort. Um, Mm -hmm. and you have to deal with that. And then there's those who are more cynical. I don't know if I should say cynical. I think that it's pretty reasonable to to consider that the race racing isn't going to happen. I think some, some races are holding on, making it a little bit more challenging for themselves, right? Because they have to coordinate constantly Mm -hmm. with community and then you get into refunds and it's just, it's it's a mess. Yeah. Um, it's a whole thing. I'm sure from a race director perspective, you 
you can definitely speak to that <laughs> more than I could. Um, yeah. And, and I think, well, <laughs> and, and then I think that the virtual stuff, it works. It seems like it works to an extent or only with a certain part of the community that can still thrive virtually. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen some athletes where they get really into the virtual stuff and then it's kind of like, okay, um, I've completely, they've completely fallen off the map you know, mm-hmm. with no racing in sight that it helped them to an extent. And then now they've just struggled work has picked up and um, they've kind of got swallowed by a million other things. And, and I've lost some athletes um, in that situation too. So it's tough. Yeah. Well, I mean, virtual, virtual is never going to fully recreate what can, what can be done live. Like, I mean, that's always been my perspective too. If even like, if you can see someone in person, it's not going to be the same as talking to them. You know, it's just, just not, there's a different, there's body language, there's like the visual reminder that there are other people (laughs) out here struggling or suffering or going through the same thing as you. Right. And you can, as much as you can remember that from a virtual place, it's, there has to be like a re appropriation of understanding that it just it doesn't have to be the same and so I think when you have too rigid of a probably when you have too rigid of an expectation for what racing ought to be as we've known it before it it makes it hard to consistently and wholly embrace a different you know a different approach be it a virtual race or a um, training session that, that you're going out the door solo when you're used to meeting 200 people for a workout or 90 people for a workout or whatever. Um, but I think it's, I mean, it's also an opportunity. It challenges you to, like I said, define what, why are you actually out there? What are you doing this for? And it's, it can, it can urge you in a different direction, a good direction. If, if you let yourself sit with it and accept a different experience. What are you guys planning is it still up in the air in terms of group practices? I know in New York, there's gatherings aren't currently allowed at the moment, but um, do you have any sense for when you'll be back to group practices in Central Park? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good question. I know with the high school program, um, I'm, a, I'm a coach at the collegiate school as well and I've been in the high school ranks for six years now, I guess. Um, but we have national like high school governing protocols for a phase like phase one, phase two, phase three return. And, um, it's just still, it's so up in the air as to when and how that's going to happen. Um, so for me, I'll probably follow those guidelines similarly in terms of, um, numbers of people, like the first phase you can have five to 10 people and they have to stay in that same pod um, of athletes, they're not going to be like coordinating with, you're not going to have five new people come in and train with that group. Right. So you're trying to kind of like continue to keep these quarantined pods of people, um, that are working together. And I think it'll all, it'll all have a relay back to what individuals are comfortable with as well. Like there's going to be, um, that personal sense of comfort. Yeah. Yeah. I think even when, I think it's going to be hard. I almost enjoy right now the fact that the, the the city has said we don't allow this. But then once the the tricky part is going to be when the city finally um, 
allows people to start to gather again. I'm sure there's going to be regulations for quite some time on that, but um, that's when it gets tricky because if it's allowed, I think it's there's going to be a long period of time where people are are <clears throat> getting comfortable being back around a large group, especially running with them, right? When oh yeah. You're not going to be able to do speed work with masks, you know, and especially not in the summer. Um, so yeah. when do people get comfortable? Some people that's just been that's how they've been the whole pandemic they're just kind of they brush it off i can see that even some athletes in new york i've been shocked at some of the things that they've been doing um and then others are, are more cautious and less <laughs> risk averse you know so it's gonna yeah. be true. yeah i think every every coach every group's gonna have to come up with an educated kind of like return to play protocol um as yeah. to how individual um, groups want to address that. And maybe maybe once somebody's coming up with something more specific that can be dispersed to the rest and there'll be this unwritten, unwritten ruling <laughs> as to how right. things are going to be done. Um, but I, I personally have approached the majority of this fall with a virtual aspect of like yeah. either a community gathering to talk about um, – to talk about wellness practices or we're going to get on, we're going to do a lift together, like similar to what everyone's been doing. It's nothing, not creating something new under the sun, but trying to re appropriate opportunities for, for people to gather still and, and know that other people are working and they can see that um, rather than just being reminded that someone also is out running today you know yeah no i mean the virtual component for us has been it's been great because we've we've gotten more speakers to connect with Mm. it's always hard to schedule usually it's just around practice and when we can get someone quick Mm -hmm. right before or after practice and everyone has that 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 window that you've got to you, you have their attention, you know, right as they get back from work or now they want to get home because they've been out all day. And um, so it's really hard to get their attention at practice. But now it's we've been able to put interesting speakers in front of them, focus on other areas. So there's been some bright spots and um, around the virtual component. Again, it's just my concern is just how long this goes on, how, how long people will stay engaged Um are, are they getting zoomed out? You know, that's what yeah. I'm hearing a lot. Like I'm zoomed out at this point. Like I'm no, done. No, I mean, Zoom. we did, I, I did sessions with the, with the high school boys throughout the rest of the um, school year yeah. and they were taking full course load online, like their virtual classes. And it was, they would just come to our practice sessions, looking at this again, looking at a computer screen, you could just see their faces drained like they just don't want to be, I mean, we were moving, so it helped, right? Like, but they, and they could see that they were with their teammates still, but it was by that point, just like totally, you could see like the last thing they want to do is be in that same space again. I am sitting in the same spot watching yeah. more, you know? Um, but I think there's still a important aspect from a mental health perspective to, urge those connections because you could easily in this setting go through a day and realize that you really haven't seen anyone (laughs) like aside from maybe your family or doorman or a person on the street but like a real true connection 
Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. Um, I, hey, so I want to step back a little bit. We usually do this on, on the show because we really want to get into uh, the situations and circumstances that sort of led, put you on the path um, towards really a life in, in this sport. And so I want to get into your background a little bit and then build up to you know, this moment that we're in and that we talked a little bit about. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up and and basically how you got into running. Yeah, um, so I I am from Kansas, just outside of um, Kansas City in a little sur- suburban area there. Um, I played every single sport under the sun growing up and did not start running until middle school. Um, it was the only only running like only school led team that you could be a part of so the track team in in seventh grade and I always played soccer and thought I was just gonna do it to like oh I'm gonna stay in shape for soccer and um (laughs) my I ended up being doing pretty well and um like one city and so on that little scale I was starting to get a little bit of oh you might actually be all right at this um and then when I got to high school, I was going to play volleyball. Um, but my mom was like, you have to try cross country. If you don't, you can do it for a year, but you have to at least try it. Cause she like realized that I was much better at running than I was at volleyball. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we, we all, we yeah. all need our moms every once in a while. Right. So <laughs> to tell well, us what's up. Yeah. So, <laughs> but was that more like, you said you were involved in all sports. Is that because your family is pretty competitive in, in the sports or you just naturally gravitated to, no, to it? Not at all. Um, not at all. I mean, my uh, my mom didn't was not an athlete. She was a music major for a while and then became an accountant. Um, she ran when she was pregnant with me. So she's um, been running her, like, majority of her adult life she started when she was in her 30s and I mean so I've always been around it like I was always around running but I just was innately like I just was a mover and a doer and my mom said the more like when I crawled I was happier than when I walked and then when I ran I was like completely like thrilled to be alive (laughs) like when I was young Um, until that point I cried so I mean (laughs) It was just kind of like, that was just who I was. Um, I was super competitive, but I, I didn't get the athletic side. I wasn't exposed to like competitive athletics as a young kid. It was just, my mom would go to the track and I would take my soccer ball or my bike and I'd ride around or kick, kick a ball around. And so I was around like the most pure form of running. She just does it for her, for her mental um, as like a pl- way to decompress from the day. Um, were, were there a lot of runners? What was the, your hometown? Um, Olathe, Kansas. Oh, so okay. I, I mean, it's not a, it's not a heavily runner based city. Um, but like my mom went to school with Christian Smith's parents out in Western Kansas. So Christian Smith for those, um, track fans that remember when, uh, yeah. Nick Simmons and, um, weeding and, the other guy from Oregon Track Club <laughs> made the 800 team for the Olympics. So he, he dove at the line. That was Christian. So, like, I had kind of had this understanding um, of 
higher level running just from her knowing them. And, um, but yeah, that my cousin played football in college, but aside from like my direct relationships, running was a brand new thing. It was, it wasn't something I knew much about at all. So, um, so it's Olathe. It's the so I'm reading. It's the fourth most most populous city in in Kansas. Is that right? Yes, Olathe. So yeah, we had Olathe. a yeah we had a I mean a good high school um, like division, and I raced one of the best um, females to come out of Kansas in the last twenty years. Um, she went on Laura Roxburgh. She went on to r- race at uh, Missouri and was an All-American in the 1500, I believe, by the time yeah. she ended her career. And then a number of other um, really high-level women from Kansas. So I definitely had exposure to good athletes. But at that time, I don't know that any of us knew that we would go on and run Division One. another girl. Um, yeah. A couple others they raced with became teammates at Kansas. Others became competitors that ran at Arkansas and Oregon and all of these other places. So um, it's kind of cool to see where everyone ends up coming out of that same area, you know, where they are now as well. And I'm so. just, see, I'm also seeing that Garmin is the second biggest employer. I'm wondering, do you know why Garmin is headquartered there? I don't. I don't know if it's just like maybe distribution is easier because it's a central location or. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I haven't, I, you would think that I'd have more relationship, um, with them, but I don't, I, I, um, don't know many of the people in their organization, but I run past it all the time. So you do. Oh, you do. You see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I run, I run it. It's on one of my like 10 mile loops from home. Okay. So that's um, funny. Yeah. Um, so then what you, you, was the moment that you got hooked, was it basically you noticed that you were getting pretty good or it was your mom kind of giving you a nudge? And yeah, then- I mean, the moment I got hooked was my freshman year. I I ended up, I was fourth in the state. I was the top fresh, I was the second best freshman, um, but fourth in the state in cross country. And I was like, oh, okay, um, <laughs> I might have more potential here than I than I realized. I still didn't love it, but it was kind of like a, it definitely, <sighs> tasting success is always a good motivator for a young person um, when you're in that space where you're trying to figure out yeah. what your skills are and <laughs> who you, like, where you want to go and who you want to be. Success is definitely help and help full in shaping that identity so for me it was that that year and then um I mean I continued to play soccer and basketball in high school I was not a I was a three-sport athlete all the way through high school and I only really committed to running specifically when I got to college because of those offers um but yeah it was probably then I got hooked to the success and then when I got to college I fell in love with running so you were three multi-sport athletes. So three sports. What what were they again? It was yeah, um, cross country, basketball, and soccer. I didn't actually run track really. Um, wow. So my senior year, I did my freshman year. Um, for like two races. <laughs> um, not thrilled. They did not love that I chose soccer. Um, but there was one year I tried to do both and had worked out a way with them to like, I can run in these meets, I can train on my own and I'm going to play so- these games, da, da, da. And then, um, 
I got, I got, I got sick. I got mono that year cause I just tried to do too much. So, <laughs> um, so nobody won that year, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think in the long run and like the way I approach things with the high school kids, those, those growing athletes that I work with now, I mean, obviously the capacity to run year round is, um, is there. And if, if a high school coach is appropriate, appropriately approaching it, um, there's yeah. going to be opportunities for that athlete to continue on in the sport until they're 30 or beyond. Right. As long as they're getting the appropriate training at the and understanding of their developmental age. But the, the way I always think about it and I, I love to like, my hope is to be able to take kids to college coaches and say, they, they played soccer, they played basketball, they ran 30 to 40 miles a week. And this is what they did, you know? And so that coach then sees, wow, there's a huge potential here and yeah. they've never focused on this and they still have a, a refreshment around running. They're not, they're not in fully in the monotony of it, you know, like there's still like a, a youthfulness to them. You know, you look at training age of an athlete versus actual age. And I think that there's a lot that can be seen, um, yeah. a lot of potential that's there so yeah i, I, I love that because it's you see so many kids like specificity it starts early and then they overtrain in high school jack has always brought this up at our clinics he has a pragmatic like viewpoint of it where it's like it's hard with the cost of tuition it's hard to you know to uh blame them that you mm -hmm. know, if they're getting scholarships to good schools then it's hard for me to be critical of, of a young athlete who is running 67 miles a week in high school and mm -hmm. um, was was not doing different sports. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there's two. But that's it's not, twofold. Ideally, it's not great for the long term health of the athlete. Right. But I, I think his point was just, again, coming back to like how many athletes are going to continue to run um or compete at, at that level after college. Um, but it'd be interested to see like those that, that train at that level, like what's their participation for now, you mm -hmm. know, once they're, once they're an adult, um, do, do more of them become burned out and, and distance yeah. themselves from the sport? I don't know. We could dive into a whole yeah, yeah. like a uh, <laughs> social psychology <laughs> yeah. study on, on that. Um, no, it's interesting. I mean, it'd be really interesting to look back and see, but also to look at the athlete that had success, high school, college, and yeah. that was really the only motivator that drove them to get out the door and run. You know, there was never a full, a full like inherent intrinsic love or value for, yeah. for their, for their training. So then it deteriorated, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's complex and everybody's, that's what I, that's, I guess that's why I like honing in on the values side of oh it's great the running so I'm, i always complain now that i appreciate training and running more than i did when i was younger because the the motivation when i was younger was all time-based and just purely competitive and um and and now that's changed obviously and now i'm older and slow and so 
I appreciate the trading more. Yeah, so nah, the, older, it's the more we're like, oh, I just like it more. I don't really care if I get faster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what was um, what was the recruiting process like for you? Did did your coach in high school have an influence on you or a big impact or or no? And then what was um, what was the recruiting process like for you? Yeah. So my college coach, I had a, or my high school coach, I had a really great high school coach. He ran at Tulsa and he understood, he was hurt a lot when he was training. So he was very cautious with me, which I appreciate. Um, and so we never overdid it. So that process, he reached out to a number of schools and just kind of tried to get an understanding of what they were looking for. But I got, um, a number of recruiting letters from around the country and filled out questionnaires on my own accord as well. I got, I just recently realized I was recruited to like the vast majority of the Ivies, but I had cut those out of my like viewpoint entirely. Cause I knew I wanted to stay close to, um, close to home. And, yeah. okay. um, so I, I, for me, I just took like basically a three hour driving radius from where I lived Yeah. And said, where do I want to go within this circle? And I visited Nebraska, K-State, Kansas, Drake, um, and Iowa State. And it came down to, and that was when Corey Immels was there. I think he's at Boise now and he's had a lot of success with um, female distance runners in the NCAA system. But I came down to Kansas and Iowa State. Um, I really felt like I was more myself on my visit to Kansas for what, for that, what that was worth. It was just, I knew some of the girls on the team already. I was comfortable and I kind of, I just had a different experience. I felt more natural there. And I always tell whether I'm speaking at camps or talking to an athlete directly, like you have to get on campus to know what it's going to feel like. And if you let yourself be fully present there, you can kind of, you get the you can get the right energy read. That's <laughs> um, going to sound super like hokey, but I think that there is value to that. Um, and the support opportunities from an academic perspective at KU were incredible. Um, turned out for the very very best because my sophomore year we had a new coach come in um, to the program, and he and I really really clicked. He's he was a UNC previously worked with a number of really high level yeah. women, Shalane Flanagan, Alice Schmidt, Aaron Donahue, um, Brie Felnagel. Sure. He had a ton of, of women that had been very successful. And so, um, I just chose like in that moment, I was starting to refine that I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to, um, learn as much as I could from him. So I would just go in and sit in his office and like sift through, old workouts that he had from Shalane at UNC and like talk to him about like their mental psyche and how they approach training and racing and all of these different things. Um, and he was just so open to this day is one of my like closest friends, (laughs) I would say, which is funny. Um, but he would always tell me straight up too, if I needed to get it in gear and, redirect my focus or if I was wasting energy on something that was had had no had no fruit um yeah so that like my recruiting experience and my actual 
the experience that I had in college were different because I didn't have the coach that recruited me, but it all ended up um, working out in the way that I believe it ought to have. So that's great. So was, a positive college experience. Um, mm-hmm. You excelled academically. You were uh, academic and athletic All-American honors, correct? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I'm just going through. Um, and then your your college career ended. It was mostly the standout was in the steeplechase, right? And then that that's kind of where your focus has been since, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, the first like touch of NCAA success came with a, the DMR that I was on my sophomore year. Um, and that was probably one of the highlight experiences of my college college career, just being able to do that with friends and like mentors that I respected. Like Lauren Bonds was the it girl at Kansas. Just getting to do that with friends and people that I really respected kind of spurred the rest of my experience at at KU. And yeah. I steeplechased. I've steeplechased since then. Um, but it's What's been fun to get on the roads. At KU, we there's um, I think Court, Courtney Barnes. Is yeah, out. yeah, Courtney Barnes. Kansas yeah, speaker. yeah, she's a, she uh, stole my uh, stole my school record, which I told her I was at practice Ooh. in the winter when I came home. No, I told her to do it. I said you're gonna crush that this year. Like she was, she looked great in some workouts, and it was fun to come back and like be able to see that and tell her to like take it down like that's what it's supposed to be there for right so I mean obviously there's a part of me that wants the opportunity (laughs) to go back and get it but like it's been fun to see that those girls that I had the opportunity to coach in some capacity as well because I stayed at KU for a year and was a volunteer assistant coach um went on to do really really wonderful things um and she's she's out in Flagstaff training and crushing it right now um yeah she's now with Under Armour, right? yeah they've got a great little group out there um two two jayhawks repping in That's that great. group right now yeah jayhawks awesome. everywhere they're <laughs> spreading um so the so the your college career ends with um the 2012 olympic trials you were a finalist in the steeplechase how did that race end up yeah i uh snuck in by the skin of my teeth in the prelim to the final um and then I think I was 14th I I wasn't supposed to coming into it I don't I don't think there was an expectation that I was going to make the final I had actually been hurt in training like in a really modified way leading into the 2012 season um like I was on the alter g um into the championship season I was on the alter g unless it was a specific session and then we'd do something really really light um my hip was really bothering me so to to go through kind of the turmoil of wondering if I was even going to be able to run to making the final and like really having to grit that out and be resilient mentally and like not fragile was an experience um that has definitely shaped a lot of I mean, why I'm still even running, knowing that if that was possible, then there's probably um, more opportunity beyond um, into this next next year. So, 
I, uh, I ended up after that season kind of realized like if I'm going to make, if I'm going to like make a jump and really buy into myself, I need to go and challenge myself in a different way. And, um, I kind of removed that three hour boundary (laughs) now that I had seen more of the country and came out to New Jersey to work with, uh, coach Gags and the New Jersey New York track club and then have been out here since. So, yeah. So how did you, so part of it was looking for a change and getting outside of, outside of Kansas at that point, but how did you land with Gags and, um, the New Jersey New York track club? Yeah. Um, it's different recruiting process. There is not really, unless you're like top three in your event, there's not really a formalized recruiting process to clubs or groups. Um, because there's not contract opportunities. Um, and so I had just, I kind of put feelers out around with different groups. I talked to a couple coaches in Colorado at the time. I reached out to OTC, um, to see if they had any opportunities. Um, and I really hadn't been thinking about the East coast, but coach Mm. Witt is from Connecticut and he Uh. knew, yeah, he knew Gag. He knew that whole crew. And he was like, you know, if you are saying you're really looking around, you need to, like, actually do it. And this this could be a good opportunity because it's a group that's not not funded, but they have enough support to give you and a community of other, like, like-minded people in a space that are pursuing similar goals, right? And he recognized the value of that. Um, and so I, I met with coach gag in 2013, um, at us championships. I didn't actually get to compete cause I was again, sick. I tried to do too much, um, <laughs> extend myself a little bit too much. Hmm. Um, I got mono again, trying to take on a full time working like job and training and I didn't adjust enough. So when, with- you, when you came East, Rebecca, you were working you weren't full-time athlete at that point yeah I had been in so I had been in Kansas I was working um I had finished my student teaching because I needed to complete my my major um and I had started Mm -hmm. taking my master's courses and then I was substitute teaching and working and doing some other things on the side while training and then when I connected with gag that group was not sponsored by Hoka at the time it was a non-profit like 501c3 (laughs) you raise money I think NYRR gave them some money like it was Mm -hmm. just a a grassroots kind of this is a bunch of blue-collar people that some of them had contracts some of them didn't but it was mostly a group of people just chasing their dreams (laughs) and we had some help like with housing and stuff, but I came out here and I continued to substitute teach and then got into some more coaching roles because I knew I wanted to pursue that and have some direction there. And so I was working, um, while I was training and I continued to work, um, even more now (laughs) than, than I was then actually, um, just because I have more autonomy in terms of my schedule and training schedule. But yeah, I mean, the majority of people in that group are still working to some degree. Um, they're not full time. Do you athletes. think that that's a? Do you think that in the end, that's probably better 
a better approach or do you feel like um, some of the athletes that it's just live, breathe, um, you know, train, race, like everything's about that part of their career. Yeah. Is it too much? Um, I mean, I there are two, I guess I have two perspectives on it. And one is that if you're going to commit to something, you need to be all in, right? And what does all in look like? Um, what does all in look like? And yeah. what is, I think it goes back to that same question of what do you value as a person, right? Because you're a person first, you're an athlete second. And if each one of those like value boxes are not being met to some degree, there's going to be a like dissonance for a person. So I can only speak from my own experience, but for me, the closer I got to culminating career as a quote unquote professional athlete running for New Jersey, New York, I'm still obviously a post-college sub elite athlete right now training for 2021 trials. But for me, I wasn't touching every single piece of Mm. my my being like I wasn't pursuing so I would so ultimately I came out of that time at 27 and I had a few things on my resume right but not a foundation like I wasn't I didn't have a salary job I didn't have benefits I didn't have these things that for me to know that when I was 30 30 I was moving in a direction and would have the life that I pictured it was very, it, it created a lot of like disharmony. Um, and so for, I mean, that's, and everybody's at a different place. Everybody can handle different, different things. You know, I think that there's, this is all my, these are all just my thoughts riffing, but yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's, I think it's hard for a, um, 20 something year old to come out of, and this is relevant, I guess, entirely, but to come out of college, have a degree, have a master's, right? And then not have um, an identity within that or a direction as to what you're doing. Um, Cause that's kind of what happens. Like you, you, if you're, if you're only running and you're not pursuing some aspect of your other self, like your, your outside of training self, then at some point like competitive running for the vast majority ends mm. right like if you're Shalane Flanagan you're going to have a lo- lifelong career <laughs> as a runner because you n- have made such a profound impact on the sport right it's like jumping yep. white um but for the like 10 percent that are under that top 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 yeah level it's not a it there's no longevity in it and so financially there's not there's strife that you're coming out of and I mean I had wonderful support I had family that had helped me like they wanted to see me succeed right so they but to some at some point you say okay now I'm 29 and my parents are still helping me with something and if that does if that's not like if that's part of your value that you are autonomous and that you can be independent, then you see a dissonance Mm. and then you're not going to be able to be successful in another area because the actions and like the life you're living are not in alignment with what you value. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, it just goes back to that same question. Like it's really individualized for the person to define what they care about and what yeah. <laughs> what's going to allow them to be 
successful for me. I, I, or just have the ability to compartmentalize it and not catastrophize it or make it larger than it needs to be. And like stay at peace with the fact that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing at this moment. Mm. And those were things that, I mean, I could have worked on and gotten better with as well, which is something that I have done in the last working with Adam and reaching out to like therapists or mental skills professionals because it's complex and you need support from professionals in different ways to help you navigate. And that's talking to mentors in business, you're talking to mentors in sport, you know, like it's having those, those structures established to help you make decisions and discern what the appropriate steps are for you as an athlete and as a person. So, so do you think that, I mean, the, the downside of, of this, you talked about like there's the elite, the elite of the elite, I guess, with Shalane mm-hmm. or like a Joan Benoit, right? Or um, mm-hmm. like a Galen Rupp or, and then you have um, the subclass where you're trying to get to that level, right? But you unfortunately don't have the resources or the support. Um, you're trying to thread the needle with working and maybe, um, you know, pursuing other passions or other interests and thriving in different ways as an individual. But the, the downside, right, is that that balance, striking that balance where I feel like individuals in your case, and oftentimes it leads to overtraining, right? Because you feel like you have to train just as hard as Shalane. <laughs> and, but, but Shalane's just if that's possible. and getting a massage <laughs> and, um, you know, getting 12 hours of sleep a night. I don't know if, she did any of these things. I, I'm not yeah. close with Shalane, but Hypothe- think, hypothesizing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I'm just putting myself in the shoes of, of that top tier athlete. So, um, so that's, that's tough. I mean, twice you've mentioned really suffering setbacks from overtraining. We haven't really talked a little of too much about training specifically and what mm-hmm. that looked like for you. So when you get to um new jersey with with guys group what does that look like specifically um, day in day out and and how is that managed and uh, yeah yeah we trained hard um i mean the monday the the setup at njny was monday wednesday friday and long run on saturday um and this is just you mean practices you guys are yeah yeah yeah, we would all meet up Monday and Friday together. Wednesday would be like with just teammates, not the coaches. Um, so that like it was just, it was a very um, like the training itself was much more intense than I had done in terms of volume of intensity mm. um, than I had done when I was in college. Um, I, I adapted decently decently well, um, but I my time with NJ and Y really kind of furthered and more so after because when I was in the system I've taught myself as an athlete to buy like you just buy in right Mm. like you're fully bought in you buy into the program Um, that was how I had seen success previously and I didn't do as good of a job educating myself and I mean I've gone back and talked with um, Tommy Nohilly who's one of the coaches there now and just offhandedly been like, you know, I, I didn't take as much responsibility for some of the stuff that I needed to understand about, about training. Cause as you go into 
this post-collegiate world, I think there's more personal responsibility to, to take, right? Like you, it's your job. Like, and if you don't think about it in that way of like, okay, well, I need to understand what my, my, the components of my job entail. So even though I had taken on understanding of some coaching philosophy, I didn't get into like the nitty gritty of periodization and programming and percent like appropriate percentages for appropriate workouts right so I I think I over overdid some of my stuff like over over strained myself yeah um and didn't have an understanding too of how to use data points (laughs) to to keep my own um recovery in check and since then I mean I've used I've played with I've, I've taken on a more curious approach and played with a number of like biofeedback wearables like Aura or Whoop or just even using my Garmin more appropriately to understand my heart rate feedback like all of those things and it's been fun because I mean as I've furthered my con- like continued education I've earned my CSCS I've gone to USATF level two coaching and I've done the whole VDOT certification program like I've learned so much more um about the fact that there are just multiple ways to uh, track your like track your training um and and like structure it and that there are specific paces for specific workouts and that's why you're doing it whereas before I kind of always like well coach you want me to run 72 well I'm going to run 68 you know, just like if, if, if a 72 is good, why don't I run it faster? And that was kind of like the mindset I had. And I didn't have, a um, <laughs> so as, the, as under, <laughs> go ahead. No, I was going to say that uh, it's such a strength from my experience. It, it's an incredible strength to be able to walk in to a program. And I say this as a, as a coach now too, um, to have an athlete who just buys in, like you said, and it's, and it's especially important, right. When you change systems, right. That's, but it's hard to do. I think any athlete who sort of questions or has concerns is it's great. I think it's up to the coach, right. To, to convince them. Some, many coaches don't do that. This is what I do and don't question it. And, um, they want the athletes to buy in. And I think if the athlete buys in, then it can work really well. Um, the downside is if you don't really understand the purpose, we we interviewed Harvey Nelson, who's a young um, distance runner now on the, the road racing scene. And he was an exercise science guy in college. Mm-hmm. So he, he understands a lot of Jack's principles and he, he knows what it's supposed to feel like when he's out there in practice. Mm-hmm. We talked about, oh, he might be getting way more benefit doing some of these sessions versus you, a lot of elite athletes, right? Where they're just, I crushed that workout. Look how fast mm-hmm. I ran. Mm-hmm. But how much benefit did you get out um, physiologically? So, but it sounds like just as you matured, you had more of an interest in, in educating yourself around the training. But it, but it's amazing how far you can go and you just kind of buy in without questioning or understanding what you're doing. Yeah. And there has to be a balance, I guess, with even having coaches that are like, I, I tell my boys now, like, ask me questions. Make me give you an explanation for why you're doing what you're doing. And I've challenged myself to, to give them like today, this is the purpose. This is like 
physiologically why we're doing it. This is why I'm asking you to run this pace. Like this is your range, whatever, giving them a better physiological understanding of it. Um, Mm. But also like cultivating a culture that does develop autonomy and ownership over your own experience, you know, like, and that's only going to make them better. Um, And I mean, I could have asked coach Witt more, but it was just so like, blindly like he had had all the success and he has his doctorate in exercise physiology like I don't even need to ask because I know he knows it like (laughs) it just was like I I didn't challenge myself enough to well you were younger too I think there's there's like a maturity aspect to it for many people not to say that you know college athlete isn't up to the task of really studying and and understanding and questioning their coach but I think you're right. Like we just kind of look to the coach to mm-hmm. know that you were studying a million other things. Right. So, yeah. um, but that's important because it, it really, it's interesting. It sounds like with wit, it was just, you trust, there was trust and it was, it was a great relationship. You were comfortable. Um, and, and that got you so far. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, your interest in, in learning more now has, has allowed you to thrive as a coach too, which is really cool. Well, I hope so. I hope that there's a lot more <laughs> to come, but I, I definitely enjoy it. And I find myself nerding out over <laughs> the like different articles or books or even just conversations with different fitness like professionals, like sitting down and talking to Blake Dirksen about like loading and all of these different aspects of like return to yeah return to running after dealing with a injury like just having a better understanding and having the opportunity to rub elbows with some of the best in their fields in in New York like it's it's a learning opportunity in itself just connecting with different people that know so much more than you know and I'll never fully understand or be like I'm not going to be a PT I'm not going to be a psychologist like there's just not enough hours in the (laughs) day or enough money to pay for all of those degrees right but like you can get an understanding to be able to speak those languages and communicate like the essentials I think to the next generation of athletes so I mean hopefully maintaining that curiosity and like having a right humble learning mindset <laughs> can can see success for yeah i think for so my personal coaches. coaching career yeah no i love it and i think that's why we wanted to have this conversation and and i'll say that you've you've certainly inspired me um as a coach too because oftentimes you you sort of get stuck in in your box and you're busy Mm-hmm. a lot of different things and you've got your coaching style and your method and and so many coaches are are not continuing to, um, to learn as much as they sh- they can or should be uh, and exploring other areas because you're just you're going to inspire those athletes not only to be better athletes but but hopefully to to transfer that and become inspired um to coach as well and and that's what i think is is a great thing um in our profession, you know, not mm-hmm. just sort of transferring that and getting other people into to helping others as well, and and that's huge. So it's I love the that you, you've been 
you know, focused on as many areas as you can to, to, to strengthen your background and, and the athletes that you encounter. Hopefully so. I, I, <laughs> it's, it's definitely been a journey for the, for the last 10 years. So, um, I appreciate you, um, saying those things and inspiring me as well. Even our conversations the other day, just challenging how to structure and format some different things. You know, it's, there's so much you can glean from every conversation. <laughs> awesome. All right, Rebecca. Wonderful. Yes. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. I've been over